This week is especially exciting because we have been looking forward uh, for months to this Thursday night. How many of you know what's happening this Thursday night? This Thursday night is a uh, night of healing. We're going to have a healing service here. I really strongly suggest that you come. And today, uh, kind of as a foundation for that service, I'm going to talk about just a few of the biblical reasons that we know healing is for today. Just 13, if time will allow. So you guys ready? All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God says a key part of pleasing Him is being aware and fully conscious that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. So here's my question. Do you know that? Do you not just know it? I mean, yeah, we've read that verse, but I believe it. I recognize that. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we're going to dive into Scripture, and there's going to be a lot of Scripture today. Starting out, in Psalms 103, 1 through 5, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. This is David saying, don't forget God's benefits. What are God's benefits? Can you think of one? Forgiveness. Here he says, verse 3, who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. One of the reasons we know that healing is for us from God is because healing is one of God's benefits. It is a biblical benefit that is for us. And, and David even warned us. He says, don't forget it. And I feel like most of us, most Christians don't forget that he forgives sins. You've seen the bumper sticker, not perfect, just forgiven. Most Christians remember that they're forgiven. But many of us struggle to trust that God wants us healed. But it's there. It is one of his benefits. Reason number two. We're off to a good start. Deuteronomy 28 is a long list of the curses of the law and the blessings of God. And in the list, I'm not going to read all of Deuteronomy 28, but among the list of curses of the law, in verse 61, it says... Every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law. If you were to go in there, you would read stuff about sores, and you would read stuff about the different sicknesses that they list. And then it says, oh, and part of the curse is even every sickness and disaster that is not recorded here. 
Okay, so sickness is part of the curse of the law. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 31 says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. What does it mean to be redeemed? To be bought back, to saved from? God rescued us from that curse. If he rescued me from that curse, then doesn't that stand to reason that then the curses are not for me? If I am redeemed from the curse of the law, and the curse of the law includes a long, ugly list of sicknesses, oh, and by the way, and every other kind of sickness, even not listed in this book, then I know it is part of what he did. The Bible says, it's interesting, not only did Jesus die, but even the way he died was important because he took the curse for us. It says, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He was cursed so that we wouldn't have to be. He took that curse from us. Number three, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, 6 says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you the diseases I brought to the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In the Old Testament, there are lots of names for God. We've heard Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And then there's Jehovah Rapha, which is right there. That's the, the original Hebrew there. The Lord who heals. That is who God says he is. He says, my name is the Lord who heals. If he did that for the Israelites, in Psalms 105.37, it says that there was not one feeble person among their tribes when they were going across the desert. If God was healing the Israelites under the old covenant, what would he do under our covenant? Hebrews 8, chapter 8 verse 6 says, But in fact, the ministry of Jesus has received, is, is, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. The old covenant, he said, I am the Lord, your healer. Our covenant is even better than that. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. The old covenant, our new one, is not based on obedience, which falls short, but on Christ's sacrifice. If Moses, who died at 120, and the Bible says in, in Deuteronomy 34, 7, it says that he was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak and his vitality had not diminished. But our covenant 
is better than that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11 says, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters in stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? He's comparing the old covenant that included healing to the new covenant saying, and your new covenant is even better. For what glorious has now, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory? And if that was transitory, came with glory, how much greater the glory of that which lasts. In other words, we have a better covenant. Over and over, Scripture tells us, hey, Jesus came to improve what we have. And there was healing in the old covenant. Would you call it a better covenant if, if it excluded healing? Number four. In the Old Testament, there are many types and shadows of Jesus and the new covenant. How many of you remember the Passover? The Passover, the Israelites are in Egypt. Judgment is coming against the, the, the Egyptians. And God tells them to take an innocent lamb, bring it into their home, sacrifice it, put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. And if there is blood over their doorpost, no judgment will come to that home. They will be safe. What does that picture? When we look at that and then we look forward and see that there was judgment coming and Jesus, the Bible calls the lamb, he was sacrificed and his blood, when applied to our life, excuses us from the judgment that would otherwise come. The Passover is a picture of Jesus coming. It's interesting that in 2 Chronicles 30, and I'm going to jump to, to verse 18. It says, For a multitude of people, many of them from Ephraim and Manasseh and Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon all who set their hearts to seek God. For the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though not in accordance with the sanctuary rules of cleanliness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. The Passover was a picture of Jesus, and in the Old Testament, it included healing. How many of you remember the other story, and I shouldn't say the other, another story, because there are so many. How many of you remember the story of the, the bronze snake? The Bible tells us that, that God told Abraham, put a bronze snake up on a stick, and everyone who looks to it will be healed. Then the interesting thing is that John 3, 14 tells us what that was all about. When it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. If the snake that was lifted up brought healing, and Jesus, just like the snake, was lifted up on a, on a stick, on a pole, 
then He too brings healing. There are Old Testament uh, types and shadows of the new covenant, and the Old Testament pictures of the new covenant included healing. Number five, Acts 10, verse 38. Jesus considered disease to be a work of the devil. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. So Jesus clearly describes the sicknesses and diseases that he was healing as being the work of the devil. Again, in Luke 13, 15, the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give water? Because the Pharisees were all upset that he had just healed a crippled woman. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, she was sick for 18 years, and he said it was Satan who kept her bound. If that is the work, of, if disease is the work of the devil, if Satan is the one who keeps people bound, then let's read 1 John chapter 3. Thank you so much. You saw that. Good catch. Um, the one, verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? Kill, steal, and destroy, sickness and disease. Jesus described the devil's work as the very diseases and sicknesses that he was healing. If Jesus came to heal and to destroy, if Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, then that includes healing. Number six. Jesus considered physical healing proof of his authority to forgive sins. We see in the story of the, the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof. He was healed. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Because Jesus turned to him and said to him, remember, it was, it was interesting. He was paralyzed. They let him down through the roof, and Jesus turned to him and said, your sins are forgiven. Instead of saying you're healed, he said, your sins are forgiven. And the, the Pharisees got all bent out of shape about this. And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Not only did Jesus forgive his sins and heal his body, but he gave the disciples the same instructions. In John 20, 23, he said, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Interesting. 
This brings us to number seven. Reason we know that healing is for today. Because Jesus commanded his followers to heal the sick and do all the works that he did. He didn't just do it himself. He told others. Some people have said, oh, well, all of the, the all of those miracles that Jesus did, he just did that to prove that he was divine so we would know who he was when he died for our sins. But if it was all to prove that he was divine, why did he tell his disciples to go do it too? Was he trying to prove that they were divine? The Bible says in Matthew 9, 35 through 37, he said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And we see Jesus went around the towns and he was healing the sick and those that were diseased. In Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease. Let's just read that again. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. How do we know that healing wasn't just a God trick that he was doing? Because he empowered, gave the authority to his followers to do the same. Jesus gave that out. In Luke 10, in verse 9, it's, he says to them, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is when he sent out the 72. So it wasn't just the special apostles. It wasn't just the 12. He sent out 72 and he told them, go, heal the sick. Then in the great commission, Jesus told the same disciples to teach all future disciples the same thing that he had taught them. He didn't say, oh, accept that healing thing. He didn't say that. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. So if you are a disciple and you've been following Jesus around and he has taught you, first he went and he laid hands on sick people and they were healed. Then he sent you out in groups and said, go pray for people and heal them. And then he comes back and right before he leaves, he says, now go teach everyone else to do the same things I taught you. How many of you think that many of them were thinking about healing? Or, or was it something else? Like, did he need to repeat that here when he said everything I commanded you to do? I think that forgiveness and healing were top on their minds. That, that's what he did. 
when we see what Jesus did. The parallel verse to that is Mark 16, 18. And in that verse, it adds that Jesus said, and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Do we need to be more clear? John 14, 12, verily, or very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, will do the works I have been doing. What works? And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus, not only did he say healing wasn't a God trick that only Jesus can do, he said, you will be doing more miraculous things, greater things than even what Jesus did. Let's let that sink in for a second. Jesus' expectation wasn't that healing and the miraculous would end when he left. Jesus' expectation was that healing and the miraculous would grow. Reason number eight. We're doing good with time. We're going to make it. Healing is part of God's unchanging nature. We read that in Exodus 15, 26, God describes himself as the Lord who heals you. Healing is an integral part of God's nature. The Bible says that Jesus healed because he had compassion on the people. It doesn't say he was doing a God trick. He wasn't trying to prove his divinity. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If healing was who he was, then healing is who he is. It's that simple. If healing was who he was, then healing is who he is. Number nine, Jesus carried our pains and sickness just as he carried our sins. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 and 4, it says, He is despised and left of men, a man of pains acquainted with sickness, and one hiding the face from us. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sickness he has borne, and our pains he has carried them, and we have esteemed him plagued smitten of God, afflicted, and he is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace is on him, and by his bruises, or stripes in other translations, there is healing to us. Now remember, this was written before crucifixion was even invented. This is a prophecy about Jesus describing that it will be his bruises, his stripes, his wounds that obtain healing for us. Describing that, it says he's carried our pains and sicknesses. If you look in some translations, it doesn't say sicknesses, it says pains. 
okay? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 through 17, it says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. What did he do? He healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So, even if your translation that you're reading described them as pains and not sicknesses, we see over here that when Jesus was healing sicknesses, it was to complete that prophecy in Isaiah. And then it says here, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Even the translations that in the Old Testament verse use the word pains, use the word sickness in the New Testament because it's absolutely 100% clear that Jesus was healing as a fulfillment of that verse. Matthew 8, 17 says it was to fulfill the words of Isaiah that Jesus carried our sicknesses and our diseases. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Reason number 10. Now, why are we just rolling through giving this stuff? Because the Bible says faith comes by Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the Word of God. My goal, my desire, is that all of us would be strengthened in our recognition that healing isn't just a far-off, mysterious maybe in Scripture, but that healing is something that God provided for us intentionally that he was pointing to it since the Old Testament. He was doing it in the Old Testament. He was doing it in the New Testament. He was telling people to do it in the New Testament. He was telling people to tell people to tell people to do it. And that this is not meant to be some radically mysterious, maybe historical thing. But this is meant to be a part of what God acquired for us. Number 10, Jesus is the exact revelation of God's will and nature. One of the reasons that Jesus came was to show us the Father. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus says, I, what I say to you, what he, the way he spoke to the disciples, what he said to the disciples, the way that he healed people, the way that he, he spoke to everyone that he saw, that was a reflection of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 15 says, the Son of is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Bible says Jesus is a picture of what God is like. 
So what was Jesus like when he was here on earth? Matthew 12, 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place and a large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. If that's what Jesus was like, that is what God is like. If Jesus wanted to heal, God wants to heal. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this is, this is where I think it gets a little bit fun. We as Christians are very, how do I put it? We're very much in agreement about forgiveness, right? I've never met a Christian who argued that forgiveness wasn't for today, right? Every Christian understands that, that that's what makes them a Christian, is trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, to take their guilt that he paid for on the cross. Now, the word for salvation in the Greek is sozo. Ever heard that word? I've even met someone who named their kid sozo. It means salvation, eternal life, to be saved, whole, healed, preserved, or well. The very word that the Bible uses for salvation, I want you to see some of the other places that it appears in Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 17. Most of you might know a simple verse, John 3, 16. It's the verse right after that. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That word, save the world, is sozo. It's the same word that appears in Ephesians 2.8 that says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, sozo, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right? That is the word salvation. Let me give you another place where that same word is used. Mark 6, verse 56. And wherever he went into villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who were touched were sozoed. Same word. They were saved, they were made whole, they were healed. Think about it. When Jesus said to that paralytic, be forgiven and healed, he was doing more than just straightening out the bones or, or mending the spinal cord. Or we don't, I don't know what it was, the issue that he had. He saved that man. Spirit, soul, and body. That man came to him seeking healing as a recognition that he was the Messiah. 
And he said, you've, in, in essence, he said, you've come to me believing in who I am and what I'm to do. Your sins are forgiven and your body is healed. Matthew chapter 9, verse 21. Remember the, the story of the, the woman with the issue of blood who spent years, spent, spent her money trying to get doctors who could fix her issue and no one could. And then she heard that Jesus was coming. And she said to herself, it says in verse 21, for she said, was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well. You know what that word get well is? Sozo. I will be saved and made whole. It says the hem of his garment. I've always found this very fascinating. Um, a Hebrew scholar pointed this out one time. He said, in the Old Testament, the Bible says there is healing. The Messiah would have healing in his wings. How many remember that verse? Healing in his wings. I'm like, okay, you know, cool, poetic picture. In Hebrew, the hem of the priest's garments were called the wings. So when the scripture says that the Messiah would have healing in his wings, perhaps what this woman was saying was, I believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And since he is the Messiah, all I need to do is touch his wings, the hem of his garment. She was declaring her act of expecting healing when she touched the hem of his garment was really a proclamation of her confidence and faith that she was in the presence of the Messiah. And she was healed? Yes, but she was sozoed. That same word that means salvation. Mark chapter 10 verse 52 says, Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Guess what that word is? Sozoed. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The blind man who was healed. You see, the language that Scripture uses for salvation applies equally to physical healing. We've separated it. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus. Number 12. A dozen. Jesus has not changed. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he healed in the past, then he heals today. He has not changed his will or his promises. So we'll go for a baker's dozen. 13. 
Because what you have today is better than even what Jesus displayed to the disciples. John 16, 17, 7. We had earlier, I talked about how the covenant that we have is better. But this is slightly different because Jesus said this. He said, but truly, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said, you are better off with me gone and the Holy Spirit indwelling you than you are following me around as I heal people. Think about that for a second. Jesus said, you are better off with the Holy Spirit. If healing was only available when Jesus was there in person, would we be better off? If, if healing was only available in that little time, we wouldn't be better off. Jesus wouldn't have said, oh, you're going to be better off as soon as I leave and all the supernatural goes away. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, for God does not show favoritism. This is a big verse. Make sure you have that verse, not just in your head, but in your heart. Because can I tell you what most of us just instinctively do? Oh, I'm sure this works for somebody, but, but probably not me. We have like this self-doubt that comes in, and we think, I'm, I might not be special enough for this to apply. I'm sure there's something about my situation that means that this, this doesn't apply to me. Romans 2, verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. That means that if He healed the blind man on the road, He's willing to heal you. If if someone else was healed since the time of the apostles, then so can we. Now, I want to take a little bit of time and mention one of the most, uh, most quoted scriptures against healing. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. This is what it says. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, some translations say, when that which is perfect comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see, or see, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. When? When that completeness and perfection comes, we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, 
then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This verse is used by many people to explain why there is no more healing. They say, well, it says that the supernatural things like prophecy and tongues will cease. Well, when is it they're going to cease? When the perfect comes. And some people said, well, the perfect must be the Bible. The Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. That's perfect. That's what we're talking about. But if that's what it was talking about, it says when the perfect comes, we see God as a reflection in a mirror now. We'll be face to face. Are we face to face with God yet? No. It also says that when the perfect has come, I will know fully just as I am known fully. Do we know God in the same fullness that He knows us at this point? We don't. So, if the perfect that is to come, the completeness that is to come, will result in seeing God face to face and knowing God as well as He knows us, what, what would you say might fit that description? When, when we are in heaven, will we see God face to face? When we are in heaven, might we know Him as He knows us? So, that is when there will be no more need for tongues. Because we'll be in heaven, seeing God face to face. Our spirit man won't need to, to pray and speak to God through tongues because we'll be standing there. The Bible says that, that our spirit man prays things that we our understanding doesn't know because our understanding is incomplete still. But there will be a time when our understanding is full. And at that time, we won't have a need for tongues. But does that describe the modern church? I would say not at all. The other thing, they latched, people latched on to it would cease, that something supernatural would cease. And when they didn't see something supernatural happening in their life, they said, well, it must be because it's all ceased. I won't, I won't tell you which one it was just because I don't want to be bashing anybody, but I was reading the, the, um, the official beliefs of a local denomination, and I was so fascinated because until 2016, this denomination declared that the works of the Holy Spirit were not for today. In 2016, their group of leaders got together and they wrote, and I, I wish I had it pulled up here because it was so fascinating the way they wrote this. They said, our brothers, speaking of those who embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of their lives has made it obvious that there is 
work of the Holy Spirit going on. Therefore, we will no longer claim that there is no work of the Holy Spirit. However, we consider it very easy. How did they put it? It was something to the effect of um, it can get a little messy, so we don't recommend it. But at least now they acknowledged that the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, do work. And I was like, well, go! You're one step closer. I don't want to write off the things that God has offered me. Let's go back to chapter, the, the verse I opened with, um, Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, to please God, we must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The implication there being that if you believe that God exists but fail to believe that he rewards those who seek him, you will miss something. Is it not? He says, in the very beginning, I'm going to go back. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The implication is that if I choose to not believe that God wants to reward those who diligently seek him, if I choose to believe that the things he has offered me don't exist, I will miss out. I don't want to be in that boat. Somebody says, well, do you see everyone getting healed every time? No, no, I don't. Have I seen people get healed? Absolutely. I have prayed for people who were blind and seen their eyes open. I have prayed for people who had sicknesses and, and diseases and, and they were healed. I have prayed for people who I did not see a manifestation of healing. But I didn't walk away and say, well, God must have quit healing. I don't understand every bit of it. I'm not asking you to understand every situation. What I want is for us to recognize that healing is for today. This Thursday, I hope we fill this place up with sick people, healthy people, people who come expecting God to deliver and reward those who earnestly seek Him. How many of you are with me? You're going to be here on Thursday? All right. I am so excited. Now, just as we, we talk, salvation, it, 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 it includes healing, but it also includes forgiveness. If you know that you've been forgiven, if you know that you're right with God, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If I had time, I'd ask you, how do you know? And then you tell me that it's because God promised it to you. 
and that you asked. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? That means saved. What does that mean? It means forgiven, but it also means healed, preserved, made well. God wants to forgive your sins. That's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. So if you desire to know that you're forgiven, if you're watching online and you want to know that you're forgiven, I want to give you the opportunity to do exactly what that verse said, which is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So with every eye closed, just so no one is embarrassed, I'm going to ask, if you want to make that confession and know you're forgiven, just raise your hand right now. We'll pray together. I see one person. All right, everyone, let's just repeat with them. Say, dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. He bore my sickness and my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. I accept forgiveness and every other good gift you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.